This episode of The Ready Room is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your desktop or mobile device. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. I'm Jeff Combs. I'm everywhere on Star Trek, and you keep tuning in to Trek FM. Welcome to The Ready Room, show number 158, Hollow Addicts Anonymous. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me this week is Charlene Schmidt. We'll be talking about some Star Trek news, including an inside take on DS9 Blu-rays from Digital Bits, the next episode for Starship Farragut, and a menagerie of aliens in trading card form. Then in the feature, we're joined by Suzanne Abbott and Jamie Sanchez to discuss the Voyager episode, Pathfinder. So let's step into the ready room. Hello, Char. It's Voyager Week, so of course I knew you were going to be here, but as always, I'm glad to have you here on the Ready Room with me. How's everything been going? You've been running around. What have you been, you've been going to state parks. Did you find any like crashed ships so you can invent stuff and you know become famous, a famous like Bill Gates type? <laughs> I wish. Actually, what I was doing is I went over to Itasca State Park next door in Minnesota, and I was looking for one of Chakotay's crash shuttles. Okay. So we did find it. Fortunately, it's salvageable just barely. No casualties. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a very good thing. It was a quiet day at the park today because the temperature has already dipped quite substantially. We are having a little bit of a cold snap in our transition to fall weather. And therefore, there weren't a whole lot of people around. And that was probably a good thing for a state park. Maybe so. Maybe so. Well, I'm glad you found the shuttle. That's really, really important. You know, you mentioned that the temperature's dropping, the weather's getting colder. Mm-hmm. You know who would really love that? Who? The Breen. Of course. And I'm wondering if the Breen are going to be included in the first thing we're going to talk about today, which are alien trading cards from Rittenhouse Archives. We don't talk about things like this that often here on the show, but I've been looking at all the different merchandise and collectibles that have been coming out recently, and we, we're seeing a lot of, you know, bobbleheads and dog tags and things like that that don't Mm. interest me very much this on the other hand is something that i saw it and i thought you know i might actually buy these because they look they look quite nice they're trading cards like you would have baseball cards or other cards over the years but they're different aliens from star trek and they also have special ones like autograph cards which are kind of cool as a collector to have cards that are actually signed by the actors themselves yeah, this, I don't know. I'm not a huge collector, especially of, of cards. I just don't do it. It's not my thing. But for those that do, this is kind of a cool little thing. And uh, especially with autographs, um, 
yeah, I would probably be down if I really wanted to invest, but they do look really nice. They do look like cool cards. It looks like you're going to have a nice myriad of the whole Star Trek universe included in these mm-hmm. cards. And so that too is kind of cool. Yeah, it's nice. I mean, these are the kinds of things that I miss being in Japan because when I go in, of course, somewhere like Toys R Us, but lots of other stores as well, we have things like, I mean, trading cards are huge here, of course. I mean, that's what Pokemon is, is a card game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we have lots of different cards and they have them for Star Wars and franchises like that where you could just pick them up. And, and it's the kind of thing where if they had these in Japan, I would pick them up when I'm in the store. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm collecting the ships right now, the official Starships collection ships, which I really, really love. And uh, we can't get action figures here, which I used to collect back in the 90s. And uh, can't even get cards like this. So uh, I, I think of the different types of merchandise that are being released right now, these are the kinds of things that interest me more. I gotcha. Well, for those who like aliens, this is definitely an item that you don't want to pass up because the focus is aliens. And these things mm-hmm. are coming out in November. So you don't have too terribly long to wait. This might be a good thing to put on a wish list for holidays coming up and whatnot. Yeah, because you can buy them in boxes instead of the little individual packs. And there if you do you go. that, you'll have a chance to get a lot of the other stuff that's in there. They're, they have sketch cards, artist sketches. There are These are randomly inserted into the packs. Also, 60 autographed cards in one in eight packs. You'll get one of those. 18 sticker cards. There's also gold versions of the cards. There are nine first appearances cards, nine quotable Klingon cards, 10 <laughs> alien ship cards, and six alien badge pin cards. And uh, those seem to be exceptionally rare to find those. But if you yeah. were to get it like a Christmas gift where someone buys you a whole box of them, it, it's really fun actually to open those to find out what's going to be in there. And then, <laughs> you know, it'll be something like you'll like end up with uh, 18 Harry Kim cards and you're trying to get that seven of nine autographed card, but you can't get it. And next thing you know, you've got like a whole storage locker for your Harry Kim cards and you still can't get that one autographed Jerry Taylor card. But remember, their focus is on aliens. <laughs> so are you saying that Harry Kim is an alien? Well, you never know. I mean, something's going on to be killed that many times and still be alive. <laughs> I mean, I suppose the space herpes was alien. That's true. So Once he merged with that, you never know. <laughs> so, but Char, I have to ask you, though, because you said you're not really into these trading cards that much. What I want to know, though, is if they made a collection, a special collection here, these are aliens, what would they have to make to get Charlene Schmidt interested in this? What special collection would really <sighs> get you going? Hmm. Boy, that is such a... Big question. There's so many answers that I can come up with. I mean, crossover potential here could be amazing to where you don't have to just stick with one fandom. You could do several. You know, you could uh, cross over. Doctor Hugh is or Doctor Who is huge right now. You could do that. But I'm thinking, of course, Bosom Buddies. <laughs> now, if they do a crossover collection between Star Trek and Bosom Buddies... I'm buying it, just for the novelty. Okay, so how does that work? Are these 
Is it like all different Star Trek characters bunking up together in the Susan B. Anthony Hotel? Is it Star Trek characters cross-dressing? Is it putting Star Trek characters into Bosom Buddies episodes? There's going to be a card of Quark in his female costume. Oh, from Prophet and Lays. Yeah. Yes, yes. On second thought, no, I think this is an awful idea. <laughs> Maybe I should stay out of the trading card marketing department. What would you do, Chris? Maybe you've got a better idea than me. I don't know. I was thinking about like a collection of barrel roll scenes. Okay, see, that is so much better. Right. (laughs) Because, I mean, Jordy Jordy is most famous, but he's not the only person to actually do a barrel roll in a Star Trek episode. You're absolutely right. Okay, now, barrel roll collection. I would buy the barrel roll collection. I think it would be cool, yeah. Especially if you could get holographic versions where you could see in well, 3D the barrel roll. I think it's a roll. given. I think, like, you in this collection, in the Aliens here, you have nine quotable Klingon cards. You have these special cards. Mm-hmm. I think there would have to be, like, nine special holographic barrel roll cards where, like you say, when you tilt it, you can actually see them going through the entire barrel roll. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I would buy that. And, of course, there would be the one autographed by LeVar Burton. That would be a very rare card. I think one in every 288 packs. Yeah. So you know you'd be going out buying the boxes and troves to get that card. It's like the golden ticket. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Sweet. That's right. Okay. So these are going to be coming in November. For those who are interested, we'll put a link in the show notes. There's an article over on the Trek Collective where you can find out more if if you're looking forward to picking these up. All right. Next thing we have up here, Shar, is something that I don't want to talk extensively about because Larry and I talked about this extensively on the Ready Room 155 a few weeks ago. But there is a new article out by Bill Hunt, editor-in-chief of the Digital Bits. And he wrote the article in order to answer what he says is the second most frequently asked question that he gets after when will the unaltered Star Wars be released on Blu-ray And the question is, when will they release DS9 and Voyager on Blu-ray? And he's actually been to CBS. He's talked to a lot of people behind the scenes. He says, I can't reveal some of the things that I know from the inside. But one thing I can tell you is that they want to do it. They really, really want to do it. They're crunching the numbers to try to figure out how they can make it happen. Good. And one reason that I bring this up today is that I've had people contact me actually just in the last few days asking me to go sign and promote a petition to get CBS to remaster DS9 and Voyager. And what I always tell people is that, I mean, I'll go sign it, but this isn't going to work. Mm -hmm. Like They know that we want it. Signing a petition isn't going to make them say, okay, well, now we're going to do it because you said you wanted it. Yeah, no, really, the best way to tell them, not only do you want it, but in order to make the vote count, is to go out and vote with your dollars. Buy the Blu-rays that are out there and let them know that there is the demand. Then they're going to exactly. make it happen. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's critical. It is it is a numbers game, and it is a business for mm-hmm. them. This isn't, you know, and it's... In, It's complicated. I mean, DS9, especially, 
is going to be a big project. I think a much bigger project than TNG was for them to remaster. Mm -hmm. Um, And as I understand it from what I've heard, it will get more complicated as they go along because TNG, they were just really careful about staying organized and, you know, keeping the originals for everything. Uh But as Star Trek went along and they started picking up elements, you know, the episode we're going to talk about today, Pathfinder, has footage from DS9 in it. Right. they, They just picked that up, you know. So when you get to certain episodes, it's not necessarily a case where every single item that was used in that episode is in a little box somewhere labeled with the name of the episode. So it gets a little more complex. So it's going to be a big project and it is a financial game for them. And uh, I do believe they'll eventually do it. As Christopher Baca, one of our listeners, pointed out just before we went on the air here, talking in our discussion group on Facebook, he said the same thing I've been saying for years, which is that HD content is going to be needed in the future. This SD stuff's not going to cut it if yeah. they're going to keep syndicating this. But I think that's not as high of a priority for them as Blu-rays and fans focus on the Blu-rays. So as you said, Shar, what Bill Hunt said here is... Bottom line, buy the TOS, TNG, and Enterprise Blu-rays. That is the best way for you to send a message to CBS that you will then buy DS9 Voyager. Yeah. And you know what? I think I'm a guilty fan here because I don't have all of the Blu-rays that are out right now. Mm -hmm. But I am going to eventually get them because I feel like that does send out the message that, yes, this is a good idea, and please keep going because I definitely want to see DS9 on Blu-ray. And of course I want to see Voyager on Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. So if I want to see that, I do have to show some support. So I'm on it. Yeah. And just picking up on what you said, Char, you said that you're maybe a guilty fan here. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying like you're a bad fan if you didn't buy all the Blu-rays yet because they're expensive. <laughs> well, they are. That's you know? why. Yeah. They are expensive. I buy them all right when they come out because I do Trek FM and I need them because I need to watch the remastered one so we can talk about that as well. If mm-hmm. I weren't doing Trek FM, I probably wouldn't buy every set the moment they come out because it is expensive. But all I'm saying is that if you're looking for the best way to let CBS know that you want that, petitions are not the way to move the needle. The way to move the needle is by actually buying what they've already done because when they crunch the numbers, that number's got to be there for them to say, right. look, we <laughs> sold this many so we can afford to do this. Yeah, signatures aren't going to go nearly as far as dollar signs, unfortunately. That's just the way yeah. our 21st century capitalistic society works. Mm-hmm. And I, I think maybe... Uh, the petition, it means, well, it's a great idea in the fact that way back in the day, the letter writing campaign kept Star Trek afloat mm-hmm. back in the 60s, but it's just not going to pull enough weight. Right. Yeah, it's a good idea. Like I said, I tell people, I'll sign it, but I'm not saying don't do petitions. I'm not discouraging anything you want to do to encourage CBS <laughs> to give us right, more Star Trek right. and remaster these. I'm all for it. But it just that's not going to move the needle we need to actually show them that we're going to buy them. So I'm going to put a link in the show notes to this article on the digital bits. It's a rather long article. It's really interesting. Uh, We really didn't tell you much of anything that's in it right here. So uh, we just talked about the bottom line that Bill Hunt gets to is to buy the Blu-rays. So go over and read it. I think you'll really enjoy it, especially if you're interested in this topic. And even if you're not so gung-ho on the Blu-rays itself, 
it's still an interesting insight into how CBS and a studio thinks about Star Trek in the case of CBS or just any entertainment franchise, really. All right, Char, we have one more news item today, and this is about Starship Farragut. They have been around, like Phase 2, they're one of the longest-running fan film projects. They've been around for 10 years. They have Farragut Film Studios, which is a 10,000-square-foot facility of freestanding Star Trek sets. They've really built this stuff out there. And they have a new Kickstarter going for a new episode called The Crossing, which sounds like it's going to be their most ambitious project yet. That's one thing I love about these Kickstarters is that they help people get bigger and better with these fan films, independent productions, as you like to call them, every time. Like, I feel it's getting much more authentic, much more uh, entertaining because they have the ability to do more. Definitely. That's the thing, like what we're talking about, um, it being a numbers game with Blu-rays for the studio. Everything costs money and fans can, they can do a lot with very little but again, if, you, if they have more financial resources to work with, they can then polish things up. They can elevate the level of what they're putting onto the screen. Yeah. Well, and their goal uh, for this project is $15,000, which for like a full-length episode really isn't that much. Oh, not at so all. So they really are going to make this stretch. So I really do hope that they make it. They have until October 9th to meet their goal. So that's 24 days as of recording this tonight. And they're mm, not quite about a third of the way there yet. Right. You know, Kickstarter campaigns, they tend to pick up speed at the end as well. Mm -hmm. So you get a little bit of a surge at the beginning, a lull through the middle of it, and then a final push. I mean, if you look at Axanar, Axanar picked up 200,000 something dollars in the final two days of the campaign. Yeah, unreal. Uh, and a lot of that was thanks to George Takei tweeting out about it. Yes. But it shows the the momentum that can can be gained there at the end. So this new episode, you mentioned it's a full episode. It's actually a 90-minute Yes, film. I so stand corrected. If you think of it as an, as an episode, it would be a double-length episode. Yeah. And I'm not clear if, if it's an episode or a film per se. Maybe whatever terminology they're using for it, it doesn't really matter. But uh, it's called The Crossing, and it is going to take place like so many stories are right now in the mirror universe. <laughs> that uh, does seem I, to be a trend. It is a trend right now. Um, I, I do feel like we're getting maybe a little bit of an overdose of mirror universe stories at the moment. But of course, they'll be released at different times. You know, they're not all going to be coming out at the same time. It just happens to be right. that people are working on them right now. It's like with the literature, too. I feel like we've, we've had an overdose of Section 31. Uh-huh. But it's always interesting anyway for me, especially with the Mirror Universe, to see the different takes on it. Because it was something that was left hanging at the end right. of Mirror Mirror. Like, what mm-hmm. happened after that? And everyone has their own idea of what happened after that. And of course, this is not the Enterprise. Starship Farragut is focused on another starship, as the name implies, mm-hmm. the Farragut. It is set in the TOS time period, but it's not Kirk and Spock and McCoy. This is another crew, which is always interesting to me as well. It's why I like the concept of the Vanguard series, also in the literature, that there's a lot more going on in this time period than just the crew of the Enterprise. Right, yeah. Starfleet isn't just one little ship crossing the galaxy. There's a whole fleet, and we have no idea what those guys are up to most of the time. Exactly. And it's fun to see it. So 
they're going to be working with the post-production house Neo FX on this one. And it's really ambitious what they're trying to do with the CGI. So if you would like to help them out, you can find their Kickstarter. If you go search for Starship Farragut, that's F-A-R-R-A-G-U-T on Kickstarter, it'll come right up. And I'll put a link in the show notes as well. As of the time that this episode of The Ready Room actually drops, there will be about two weeks left in the campaign. So we'll get this news out to you through other sources as well. But go check them out, see where they are, help give them a final push as they make their way towards that $15,000 goal. So Char, we have two in-house things to cover here in the news segment before we jump into the feature. The first one is our new Facebook group, which we just launched yesterday. This is a closed group. It's for Trek FM listeners. It's a place to foster meaningful and respectful discussion about Star Trek. And that's why I gave it the name, the Babel Conference. Do we have really brightly, vividly colored pieces of uh, jello and melon and things like that? We do. We do. Good. In fact, I'm, I'm talking to Facebook about making that a sticker pack that you can add to your <laughs> Facebook chat. Sounds good. Now, I hope there's not going to be any <laughs> fake Andorians there, though. Well, there better be. I mean, you know. But then they might there attack There better be us. just for the atmosphere. But the problem is that if Thelif is there... I will ban him from the group. Okay, okay. Just don't want, like, I don't know. I love a good Andorian fight scene just like anybody, but I just don't want to be attacked from behind. Bridge, Spock. Spark here. I'm on deck five, near my quarters. I've been attacked by an Andorian. Right, well, no one wants to be attacked from behind, Char. <laughs> Pervert that line. <laughs> <laughs> Also, there there may be a troublemaker in the group already, though. Uh-oh. Our very own Drew Stewart, co-host of our original series show, Standard Orbit. Apparently, Char, I don't know if you saw this. I saw it actually while we were recording right now. He has now voted in the first poll that we have in the group. He is against Corridan being admitted into the Federation. Ooh, I did see this poll. And when I saw it, all the votes were unanimously in favor of letting them in. Yeah. So he's trying to stir it up. I, I think he is a Tellarite spy. Oh boy. Here we go again. A Tellarites, they don't want Corden in there. <sighs> problems, problems. That Drew Stewart, I tell you. <laughs> Nothing but trouble, that man. Right. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding, so, Drew. I love you. So for everyone, this is our listeners group. What what's happening here is we had forums on our website and I love the idea of having forums as part of our main website, but we live in an age of social media. Everyone's on Twitter, which won't work as a platform for real discussion because you only have 140 characters. Right. And everyone else is on Facebook, and most people are on Facebook. And we've decided to close down the forums on our own website, just like StarTrek.com did a few months ago, and move everything over to Facebook. So we have this new closed group, the Babel Conference. If you're a Trek FM listener, just go over there, select Join Group. That'll send me a notification, and I'll let you in. The reason it's closed is that I I just want it to be an area for everyone who wants to come in, who listens to the shows, who wants to talk about the shows and wants to talk about Star Trek. And if it's an open group, then just everybody from the general public kind of wanders in. 
often. So I want it to be a special place for the Trekka Film family, for our, for all of our, our listeners out there and everyone. So we can all talk together, hosts and listeners, and really go beyond the shows here, take the discussions beyond the podcast itself, and we can really talk about these things. It's a good idea. And I do like the idea that it is a closed group because forget about Twitter trolls. Facebook trolls are even worse. I've seen the worst, stupidest things go down on Facebook. So hopefully this weeds a little bit of it out and we actually can have a real discussion among those of us who aren't going to just say either, yeah, that was awesome or, oh, you suck and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> we get enough of exactly. that already in everywhere else. Exactly. So so we want to talk to you guys. So go over there. We, we have the long numerical URL right now on Facebook. So the way that you can find us is to, of course, search Trek FM on Facebook and you'll find us the Babel Conference. You'll find us there or go to our website and there's a menu item. It used to say forums up on the main menu. Now it says discussion. If you click that, it'll take you right over to the page. And like I said, just click to join the group and I'll get a notification that I'll let you in. I'll give you your credentials as a delegate to the Babel Conference, and you can come <laughs> talk some Trek with us over there. So we hope you'll join us there. Shar, the other thing that we need to mention, uh, just a quick plug here, is our Patreon page. We need help from you guys out there in the audience to keep the network going. We want to give you something in return. So we've set up a page on Patreon, which is a lot like Kickstarter, but instead of being a single project, it's a way for you to support the creatives that you love on a monthly basis. If you go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash trekfm, you will see our goals in the sidebar, in the main area. You'll see different milestone contribution levels and the perks that we'll give you in exchange for that. Those include, of course, being listed as a supporter, digital wallpapers, you can get associate producer credits on shows, you can sit in on the recordings of some of your favorite shows, you can even become part of our content planning group. There are a lot of different perks that we have for you there, and they're all outlined on the page. You can contribute any amount you want. It can be a dollar, it can be a random number like $17 or $47 for all you. (laughs) That should just be a preset option, Chris. It should be 47. That's the baseline. Now, it can be any amount you want. Uh, so you'll get, it's like, for example, $15 and above. And then the next one is, I think, 25 And if it's $15 mm-hmm. and above, as shows are ready early, we will release them on Patreon only for our patrons at $15 and above. And you can actually listen to the shows before the public release. And that doesn't apply to every show every week. It depends on what's happening with production. But we're trying to do that as much as we can as uh, we have shows ready before the release date. So lots of things for you over there. Please go check us out. Huge thank you to all of our supporters that we already have over there. Uh, They're helping us out a lot. We're getting close to actually being able to cover our hosting and distribution costs each month just through listener support. And that is wonderful. So we really thank you guys so, so much for your support. For everyone else, if you haven't contributed yet, please consider doing so. Even a dollar really helps us out. Again, that's patreon.com slash trekfm. Yeah, we love doing this stuff. It's wonderful, but it, but it does cost us money and takes a lot of time as well. Sure, one more way people can help us out is by supporting Audible. If you go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm, you can get a free audiobook of your choice as a trekfm listener. Audible is a great source for audiobooks. I've been a customer for 14 years. I have hundreds and hundreds of books in my library. I was actually listening to one right before the show. I was listening to a book about Pixar 
and how mm. that company came to be, which is really interesting. That does sound But we like to recommend Star Trek books here on the show, since this is a Star Trek show. And Shar, I picked out, because we're talking about Pathfinder today and Deanna Troy is in there, I picked out M. Zadi by Peter David, and you saw it, and you said, oh, I love your pick today, because I love this book. <laughs> Yes. Oh, man. Way back in the day. This is an older Star Trek novel. I believe it was released in 1991. So well over 20 years now. That just blows my mind. That's scary. But I remember <laughs> reading this book way back when. And at some point, I did have the audiobook version on cassette mm-hmm. tape. Me too. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> and it's narrated by Jonathan Frakes. And I feel like he does a great job of doing the different voices and whatnot, keeping it interesting. And it is, for those who want just a short description of what this book is about, it is basically uh, the love story between Troy and Riker. If you ever want to know how they got together and why they are Imzadi, this is what you need to know. Yeah, this is what the literature does really well, is filling in gaps like that. And when you have Jonathan Frakes narrating it, it makes it seem much more... Like, this is what really happened, right? Because you've actually yeah. got Riker telling you the story. Yeah, yeah. This basically is in my fanon, to steal a word from Philip Gilfus. This is how it happened. <laughs> Even though it is a book and the books are technically not canon, blah, blah, blah. Uh, this one counts. It's that good. I'm with you. There's lots of stuff from the books in my head canon, as I call it. So. <laughs> We've all got our own little word. We all have our own word, yeah. All right, so so you can get this book absolutely free or any other book that you want by trying out Audible at audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And if you decide not to stick with Audible at the end of the trial, there's nothing to lose. You'll get to keep this book. But the money we receive from Audible when you try out the service really makes a big difference for us. So we hope that you will support them and try it out if you're not already an Audible listener. This is, of course, for new Audible customers. And we really thank everyone who has been doing this because actually we have seen an uptick here over the past month of more and more listeners going and trying out Audible. So I really, really thank you all for doing that. Sweet. And we also thank Audible for their support of the show and for the network and helping us keep the ready room coming to you guys every single week. Reginald Barkley is a fan favorite from The Next Generation, despite appearing in only five episodes. And one film, of course. But did you realize that he appeared in more episodes of Voyager than TNG? It took the writers a long time to bring Reg back after his appearance in the second season episode, Projections. But once they did, he played a key role in getting Voyager home, starting with Pathfinder, in Season 6. Which... Guys, by the way, interesting tidbit, did you know this was the very last Star Trek episode to air in the 1990s? Yes. Just thinking about that, just the 1900, the years gone, the final Voyager, turned out to be a good one, I think, the final Star Trek. So today we're going to talk about this episode and the Pathfinder Project, and to help us do that, we're joined for the first time in quite a while by our very own Suzanne Abbott. Hello, Suzanne. Hello. It's nice to be back. For those of you who frequent our Facebook page, you know Suzanne, even though you may not realize it. She's the one behind all the fun Star Trek questions over there that everyone is enjoying every day. So Suzanne, thanks for doing all that work on our Facebook page for us. Oh, thank you. It's been fun. And also to help us 
discuss Pathfinder today, we are joined once again by Jamie Sanchez of Star Trek Phase 2, who is known as the Fezopedia, not the Fuzzopedia, as Shar thought on the One other side. Vowel. Of the One <laughs> I'm sorry. It's, it's okay. It's great to be back, though. All right. Good to have you here, Jamie. All right, so we're going to talk about Reginald Barkley and Pathfinder today, and Deanna Troy, White Cats, Chocolate Ice Cream, Hollow Addiction, all kinds of stuff here. But before we get into that conversation, a brief synopsis of the episode for those who have not seen it in a while. It opens without the Voyager crew. Deanna Troy is dropping by Reginald Barkley's lovely apartment in beautiful San Francisco, just to say hello because the the Enterprise is in orbit. So, of course, Troy's going to want to go down and see Reg, well, right? sure. Did that seem odd to you guys a little bit? <laughs> Why like, not? The guy, the guy who recreated her on the holodeck as the goddess of empathy, she's going to go visit him? I thought she'd have like a restraining well, order against him or highly, something. If somebody thinks that highly of you to recreate you like that, I think I'd want to keep tabs. <laughs> right. Isn't Barkley <laughs> Just make sure. a project? <laughs> yeah, I would say it's more along those like those lines, and then it's also just this is Deanna Troy. She forgives easily. He's you know time has healed all wounds, and now he's a dear friend. I, I guess, like Suzanne said, I I wouldn't keep tabs on him. Just I just want to know what he's up to, you know, just in <laughs> case. No, I'm I'm I actually like Reg. I think he's a great character, and he'd be a great guy as long as you could have some drinks with him in a holographic bar right. where he can really open up. Right? <laughs> and then he'd beat you at poker. <laughs> so anyway, Deanna Troy drops by his apartment. And then Barkley, he channels a lot of Voyager fans, I think, when he says, I've lost myself, Deanna, in Voyager. I've become obsessed with Voyager. Does that sound like you, Shar? It, what exactly are you trying to say? That you like to watch a lot of Voyager. But are you saying I'm obsessed with Voyager? Like, that's my whole life? I, I just want to clarify here, you know? You're saying that like it's a bad thing. No, I'm saying he's channeling it Voyager fans. There can be no too much Star Trek. Voyager or otherwise. Right. It's not like he mentioned... It's not like he mentioned reading a bunch of fanfic late at night when he should be sleeping. Um, I'm just going to stop talking now. Because... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> shut up, Suzanne. <laughs> Revealing too much of my life. <laughs> but you're not doing it in a holodeck simulation of Voyager while you're reading fanfic. Now that would be too much, right? If I could, I would. Oh, or at least have Chakotay okay, reading help. the fanfiction um, to me. Ooh, I like the way you think. <laughs> right, as a bedtime story. Mm, exactly. Oh, there will Suzanne be no bedtime doing. stories. <laughs> <laughs> okay so no yeah, seriously sorry, Chris. we're all obsessed with star trek right otherwise we wouldn't be doing a podcast about yeah, star okay, trek okay okay so i'm not saying anything bad about it i'm saying he's okay. channeling star trek fans. maybe so all right so as we continue on with the most disjointed <laughs> synopsis ever on the ready room we then find out that Reg has become obsessed with trying to communicate with Voyager to help get the ship home. And they have this project, the Pathfinder Project, or as Admiral Paris calls it, Project Voyager, which I guess maybe at that point 
Starfleet, they hadn't decided what they were going to really call it yet. I'm surprised he didn't call it Project Tom. Or Project Nick Locarno. He had a picture of Nick on his <laughs> desk. Right, because apparently apparently he loves Nick Locarno more yes. than his own son because yeah. he had a picture of Nick Locarno on his desk. Poor Tom. <laughs> poor, poor Tom. Okay, so Barkley has a holographic recreation of Voyager. He hangs out with the Voyager crew all the time as he remembered them, or as Starfleet remembered them anyway, at the beginning of season one Caretaker. So they're all, you know, still exactly... Janeway's got her season one bun of steel. Chakotay and Balana, they've got their Maquis mm-hmm. outfits on. And Barkley uses this anyway to to carry out a plan that he has to communicate with him that no one else thinks will work. And in the end, it does work. He almost gets himself kicked out of Starfleet over it. But in the end, everything was okay. So that is the episode. And it's really the beginning of a number of appearances by Barkley on Voyager. In fact, he was in six episodes. Projections was in season two. So this will be the first of five between uh, the middle of season six, this is the 10th episode, and the end of the series. So that is the synopsis. Uh, for those of you who can figure out the actual story part of that little discussion we just had right there. So let's go into initial thoughts on the episode. Um, Shar, you are co-host of To The Journey, so I'm going to have you kick us off here with Voyager Talk. All right. Initial thoughts. It- I'm going to go way back to when this thing first aired. Like you said, at the very end of the 1990s. <sighs> wow, that seems so far away and yet not. Um, I thought that when this episode came on, I just thought, wow, finally. Like, I felt like this was overdue. Uh, I really wanted to see something like this happen for a very long time on Voyager just because getting home is so much a part of Voyager's you know, idea, concept, whatever you want to call it. It's big, long arc. And I always thought that some sort of uh, Starfleet-based or Earth-based or what have you, uh, like, storyline would have been absolutely awesome. So when this finally came around, I breathed a huge sigh of relief and said, yes, finally, and enjoyed every minute of it. And I feel like it's a pretty good episode. I don't know if it makes like a top 10. I don't know if it's absolutely stunning, but I feel like it serves a very important pivotal purpose for Voyager and its overall story arc. And so it's, I think it's very good. How about you guys? Yeah, Suzanne, now you get to see season one leather jacket Chakotay in here. Oh, that, yeah. Does that push the episode over the edge for you? What, what do you think it, about this episode? It puts it way up there. Just to be able to see Chakotay in his Maquis outfit again was something nice to look at, even though he didn't have much to say. I didn't really care at that point. I was looking at him. <laughs> Just look pretty, Chakotay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Please, don't talk. No, don't talk. <laughs> <laughs> don't open your mouth. Don't pretend to act. Just stand there. Stand there. Play some cards. You're Just stand there and it's stare awkward. at the camera. The like you're gazing outfits. into my eyes. Mm. <laughs> Pretty good. All right. So what else do you think about this episode, Suzanne, beyond Chakotay, who's well, actually not really an important part of this episode? He's an important part of every episode, Chris. <laughs> every episode. <laughs> and the fanfic. Definitely the fanfic. Um, mm-hmm. I can actually recall seeing this episode when it first aired and... At first, I was confused. It's like, what? Did, uh, why is why is broccoli on my TV? 
Why is Deanna there now? <laughs> what the heck is going on? And But once, once I got into the story, I really started to enjoy it. And when they brought in Admiral Paris, I was like, okay, now we're going to see some more of Voyager's family. And, and no, all we got was Admiral Paris. Where was Gretchen Janeway? That's what I want to know. Where was Gretchen Janeway? We, oh, such a missing piece, right? Yeah. You have to wait for the novels for Gretchen Janeway. I that don't is just, want well, novels. not necessarily. No, 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 no. I take that back. Captain Janeway does talk with her mom toward the very end of the series, right? Or am I making that up? We don't get to see I know see she talks her. to her dad in um in that in Coda. Coda but yeah, that's like but the no. Deva devil ish. No, it's Spider when they're getting name. messages. They have like, you know, like fifteen minutes tops for mm-hmm. everybody to speak and they have to go on a rotation. I think mm-hmm. Janeway talks with her mom and her but sister. But we never Phoebe, get to see that. Right. Okay. But it happened. But it happened. You have to actually wait for the novel Homecoming to get any real interaction, though. That's Boo. just a dirty shame. Boo. Mm-hmm. Once again, fanfic prevails. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, Jamie, what about you? What do you think about this episode? Well, it was about 10 or 11 when this came out. And by that point, I, was wa- I had watched all through Next Gen and Deep Space Nine and had been going through Voyager. So it... When it opened with Reg and Deanna, I'm like, am I watching TNG? (laughs) (laughs) And then I see the Voyager credits. I'm like, "Uh, I'm a little confused still. And going through the episode, it's like, this really isn't a Voyager episode, even though it's centered around Voyager. If you guys get what I'm kind of saying. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But it also had that TNG feel. I mean, the, the last time we saw Reg and Deanna was in First Contact. And for once, Deanna's actually doing her job and doing it well. <laughs> the one time. So that surprised me. And like Char said, to me, it's the episode itself isn't a great or excellent episode, but it's definitely above average. So it's like a good episode. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Worthy of of a rewatch. You know, you mentioned that it has a TNG feel. And actually, it really does, right? Because, well, first of all, they reused footage from Deep Space Nine for the the scenes in front of the Starfleet there. Those were scenes from Homefront and Paradise Lost. And, but but even Harkins, it all really felt like TNG, Mm -hmm. which was interesting to me. Because I I like the fact that while I probably would agree that this isn't a Voyager episode, but it's a Star Trek episode. And I like the fact that there's an episode that connects Voyager into the greater Star Trek timeline, what's happening elsewhere, because Voyager was so disconnected from everything else that was going on. And this was, I think, a great way to remind everyone that although this ship is in the Delta Quadrant and these people are living their lives, they're still part of Starfleet and all this other stuff is going on back home in the Alpha Quadrant. I totally agree with you, Chris. That's a great analysis. I got a question uh, for you, Jamie and Suzanne. Did you guys like this part of the story, the fact that it is 
I, I, yeah, it's not a Voyager story necessarily because we don't actually see anything on Voyager in our quote unquote real time until there's something like seven minutes and some seconds left of the episode. So did you like that or did you not like that? Because it is it. very different. I liked it myself. Yeah, it, it, I liked it. It was very different. It gave me, like I said, the, the TNG feel. And, you know, it was good to connect to the, to the greater Star Trek mythos. It's the last chronological reference to Deep Space Nine. Right. Because the mm-hmm. next time you hear about Deep Space Nine is in Fury, but that's going back seasons in Voyager's time. Yeah, it's in the past. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's true. How about you, Suzanne? I did enjoy watching it just, just to get Reg's take on everybody on Voyager, how he would view Tom and Harry and Chakotay, even the captain, although they were all a little too placating to him and too happy to be around him. I, it's like, Reg, nobody's that happy to be around you. Really? Come on. <laughs> but, but <laughs> Not remember, even Neelix the cat is that happy to be around you. Right. Just take but us remember, it, Mr. Barkley. <laughs> <laughs> but remember, that's not them being happy to be around him. That's Reg projecting yeah. how he wants everyone to, to see him. Because I love how he can fix absolutely everything. And then there's the scene where Bellana is having trouble with the warp engines and she <laughs> nice. comes into the, the mess hall. He's like, yeah, I'll take care of that for you a little later. She's like, oh God, thank you so much. It's like, you saved my life, Reg. <laughs> yeah. As if she couldn't figure it out herself. Really? Yeah. <laughs> this is I have a feeling that she could figure it out better than Barkley could actually. In real I life. actually got oh, yeah. a feeling of Tinker Tenor Dr. Spy in that scene. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I bet, you know, it also reminded me that Reg probably really admired Wesley because just like Wesley had the tricolor uniform because he was a master of all divisions, Reg wanted to have that same ability. And so when he's on the holodeck, he can do anything related to command security or engineering or science as well. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, okay, well, let's go in to talk about Reg and Deanna a little bit more. The framework of this episode is interesting because they're telling the story through an impromptu casual counseling session between Troy and Barkley, but you only see that here and there. Just it's just the framework of it. Otherwise, we're seeing all the the action that's going on as he's telling her what happened, and then at some point it switches to where they catch up to what's happened, and then we see them at the end with the cat and the ice cream. And <laughs> so, thinking back to when you very very first saw this, you guys talked about this a little bit up front, and uh, Jamie, you talked about how you were a bit confused as a ten year old seeing the next generation characters at the beginning of the episode a little bit. I remember I, I was much older <laughs> when this first aired, Jamie. <laughs> so uh, I remember it pretty well. And th- the timing of it as well. So it would have been after Insurrection, right? But before Nemesis. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. It, it wasn't like we hadn't seen Deanna Troy in that first contact era uniform fairly recently when this aired but it was still nice seeing her come back on the show and i'm i'm not always crazy about 
cameo appearances where they bring characters on to, to different shows. But this was another case where I thought this worked pretty well because, because we had projections, which is one of my favorite Voyager episodes, all the way back in season two. We know Barkley's around, you know, it makes sense for him to be here in this situation. And then Marina Sirtis has a way of playing Troy in situations like this where it still feels natural to the story. Like it didn't feel out of place that she would be there. And she also, her role in this episode to me really is a cameo, whereas Dwight Schultz's role as Barkley is the center of the entire story. How do you feel about, Char, how do you feel about seeing Barkley and Troy again on television like this? I think it's fantastic. And I remember having a little bit of a fanboy moment when I saw the opening of this episode when it first aired. I was totally ecstatic. I feel like it is done correctly. Like, it's not just a cameo for a cameo. Say, like, oh, yeah, they're Troy, she's here. Big deal. No, this means a lot to the story. And I feel like uh, everything is in place and it is natural. Uh, and I like the fact that it is a different perspective, too. Yeah, we had seen uh, Reg Barkley earlier in Voyager, but it does make sense, too, that he would be basically obsessed with Voyager. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think Reg understands the kind of loneliness mm-hmm. that vo- the Voyager crew feels. He's empathizing with them a lot, and therefore I could see how he got so attached mm-hmm. to Voyager and trying to communicate with the crew. And so I feel like this is a very, very uh, <laughs> logical uh, choice. And, and the fact that it does uh, take place mostly on Earth, and then we kind of have the... Uh, it reminded me of Suspicions, where Troy, or not Troy, um, where Crusher and Guinan are kind of slipping between a little bit of a narrative and then live action, that sort of mm-hmm. storytelling. I feel like that's uh, a little different. And then, of course, it's a fact that it's a Voyager episode that's hardly on Voyager, really, um, is a little bit of a risk. And therefore, I like that. Break, breaking out of the Voyager mold a little bit, right? Definitely. And it could have failed. It could have backfired. But they actually executed this one well. Yeah, because it can always seem like a gimmick when you bring a character in like that from another show. It's possible. Right. Another thing I was going to mention when you asked the question earlier, another Voyager episode that I really like is Distant Origin, where we don't see the Voyager crew for like, is it 20 minutes, I think, before we see the Voyager crew? It's a while. With the the, the dinosaurs, they discover uh, the remains of one crew member. I think it's really it's really mm-hmm. an interesting story that's it's different. It breaks out of that just week after week kind of cookie cutter mold that Star Trek can have a tendency to fall into because of the fact that so many episodes had been made and, oh, yeah. and certain type of storytelling. Yeah. Especially at this point. Right. Well, exactly. by that point it became formulaic. You've got yeah. mm-hmm. bop, yeah. bop, 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 done. So I like it when they do something different like this as well. So, Suzanne, I have to ask you, because you've already called Reg Broccoli once in the show today, so I take it you don't really like this character all that much? No, I do. I I, I enjoy making fun of him as well as you know, that the really next generation him, cast Suzanne. did. He's very sensitive about that. Oh, he gets over it. <laughs> <laughs> he just has to talk to Deanna and she makes it all better. <laughs> That makes it okay. Gosh, I have this picture of her, of him like leaning over on her and she's like rubbing his head. It's okay, Reg. 
It's going to be okay. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, I'd like to see Will's reaction to that. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Riker walks I don't in, have to walk opens in. the door. What's going on here? Yeah. What and the he hell is going on here? steps over the back of the sofa. Mr. Barkley, what are you doing in my quarters? <laughs> well, so so so, what did you think, Suzanne, about seeing Barkley again in such a prominent role in a Voyager episode? I actually enjoyed it. it. He brought a different perspective and a different feel to the show to bring in Deanna to have a little counseling session with him. Honestly, there's nobody else that I could see him talking to about it. So that that part for me worked really, really well. You know, also tying it into greater Star Trek, as we talked about earlier, just the fact that Deanna mentions that the Enterprise is in orbit and I'm wanting to come down and see you. I mean, just that alone is a nice little tie-in, the fact that these ships go places and the Enterprise sometimes is back at Earth. And when they're there, the crew members go down and they see people and they do things because that's another thing that we don't get very often in Star Trek, that feeling that they have real lives and they actually go places other than shuttling diplomats from conference to conference aboard the Enterprise. Jamie, what did you think about Barkley and Deanna being here? With TNG being the show that I grew up with, it was nice to see familiar faces. And you know what? Barkley is like the Miles O'Brien of TNG. He's the everyman. He's okay. the... He's, He's the normal person who, you know what, may have a little bit of problems, but you can depend on. So I've always kind of connected with him as a character, more so than like Wesley Crusher, for example, or even (laughs) Will Riker. Seeing those guys was like a joy for me. And even in the framework of a Voyager episode, like I said before, it felt like a TNG episode. And I feel like this Voyager episode in general feels like a TOS episode and TNG. It comes very close to crossing the boundaries between the two series, mm-hmm. I feel, a- as a concept. Mm-hmm. How is it like a TOS episode? I think I'm missing that. Well, TOS, for better or for worse, was actually character slash story driven. And I've always liked the character-driven episodes, like your Amok Times or your Journey to Babels from Mm -hmm. TOS. And the TNG aspect is kind of, hey, Reg and Deanna are here. So you've got that, that sense of family that you get when you get some of, if not all of, the TNG cast, whether they be main characters or guest actors, that you get that feeling from that show. Hmm. Okay, I kind of see your point, and yet that actually makes me take it onto a different like plane here. No, it's not a, really a Voyager episode. I don't really see it as much of a TNG episode as you guys do, I think. It, never mind the fact that Troy and uh, Broccoli are both here, but I feel like it's just Star Trek, and I think the reason yeah. why is because it's not just them. We have Admiral Paris. We have... Uh, a couple of other new people, you know, Reg's co-workers. And so I feel like it's just kind of Starfleet and the bigger picture at large. That's how I feel, too. It's a Star Trek episode mm-hmm. more than anything else. It's a, it's an episode from the series Starfleet Command. This is what's going on at Starfleet Command. 
Yeah. We need that series. I would just point out also, and and Philip, if you're listening, I'm, I'm sorry to tell you this, although I think you'll agree. Admiral Paris is not a bad moral. He's a good moral. <laughs> a good moral. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's hashtag that. <laughs> I really wanted Nightshave to show up in this and be like, okay, oh, put a stop to this no. project. Oh, oh, no. <laughs> no, I, I love so. her. I had enough of her by the end of TNG. I did not need to see her in Deep oh, Space Nine. She's my hero. I want to be like her. You know, oh. I, I was just last night, I was watching the Maquis part two where she shows up, except of course it's not really her. It's the the vision that the uh, the founders are giving the the crew. And she's like doubly evil in, in that uh, simulation. So Nachayev is the poster child for bad morals, for sure. But Admiral Paris, I'm sure he and Nachayev don't get along at all at those staff meetings. I would love to see that in action. Oh, yeah. Could you imagine? Ooh. Argument city. <laughs> Tension. Two very strong voices, but completely different ways that they go about Getting their point across. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Yeah, I want to see this series. Well, now that we're talking about Admiral Paris, let's transition to the next topic here, which is the fact that Starfleet remembers Voyager. Finally, oh my God. It's we find time. out that Starfleet is actually looking for Voyager. And we were talking on the other side of the room. The other side of the room. About whether this is the very first time that we find out really that Starfleet is trying to find Voyager and get them back. And we feel like it probably is. Maybe there's a reference somewhere else before this. But this is the first time where we really see the fact that Starfleet has an active interest in finding out what happened to Voyager and bringing them home. And my first question when I'm watching this is whether this should have been part of the series along the way. And I, I don't really want to see it be a series where we're constantly going back and finding out like flashbacks between the ship and Earth and what's going on there. But do you guys feel like there should have been at least one episode per season maybe where we we learn that Starfleet is doing something to try to help the Voyager crew? Yeah, definitely. At least once they found out that, yes, they're still alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. One thing we failed to mention that, on the I other think. side of the room uh-huh. is Hunters, where they do get letters from home. That's what, yeah, mm, that's right. That is their very first communication, and that's where they find out that mm-hmm. Voyager is still out there in the Delta Quadrant. However, this is the first actual voice-to-voice communication. Mm-hmm. And the first time that we really see some hands-on, like, they actually have a program to try to do something. Yeah, Honestly, this really should have been a season five episode. Because mm-hmm. I agree, I don't want it to be overdone. And yet, when this finally did come around, I thought, well, it's about freaking time. Had this happened uh, in season five, because season four had hunters. So, okay, a year would have been plenty of time, but not too much time. I agree with Shar. I think it should have been sandwiched in between like the disease and think tank somewhere around there. And that gives us a little bit more space to give like somewhere again in the middle of season six for another episode and then lead up to what we eventually got in season seven. Yeah, that would have worked just fine. 
it just seems to me like um, I don't know how I would do it if I were writing it because the premise of the show is that the ship is lost and they have to get home. So we need to focus on what's going on there. But as we've already talked about, this episode ties Voyager into the greater Star Trek universe. And I like to see, I like to look at Star Trek as just being one big story. So, you know, we often get in these debates about which series you like and which series you don't like. And you have a lot of fans who won't watch one series at all. They like this other series better. For me, it's all just one big story. I like parts of it better than others. And so because I see it as one big story, I would have liked to have found a way for us to occasionally get the Alpha Quadrant perspective on what was going on a little bit Mm -hmm. instead of it just being what's happening in the Delta Quadrant all the time. Like I say, I don't know how I would portray that exactly, especially not in the format that Star Trek was at the time this was being produced. It was very episodic. Now, if you were making this today, maybe there would be a way where you could you could work out uh, the flash, not flashbacks, but just kind of flipping back and forth between the Alpha Quadrant and the Delta Quadrant, maybe in a way that made a little bit more sense because you're telling just one long story instead of these uh, individual stories week after week in an episodic nature. Maybe that is the problem that the writers had. They weren't sure how they were going to go about this, how they wanted to write it in when they had the idea in their head, Mm -hmm. thinking, yeah, we ought to go there, but how should we do it? And I definitely agree with the fact that if it were uh, written today, we would have probably seen maybe too much going back and forth. So they were trying not to go overboard, and I feel like now, yeah, they would have. I'm picturing, uh, like, 24, I'm picturing boxes popping up. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) And it's like, Voyager, Starfleet Command, Deep Space Nine mm-hmm. Ops, Enterprise Bridge, Quark's Bar. Yeah, it would have <laughs> like, been this like massive and, meta Star Trek thing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. So it would be, yeah, it would have been interesting to see more. But but I'm glad that they brought it into the story now because they did have enough time left that we actually get a number of stories related to this. And we actually, from here, the 10th episode of season six out to the end, we do get to follow the fact that there's activity going on back at mm-hmm. Starfleet to help them. Uh, also related to Admiral Paris and Tom, the scene at the end when Tom's on the bridge, Janeway's there, and Admiral Paris is talking to them. And there's just, you know, the, the reaction that Tom has to hearing his dad's voice how important do you feel this is to like that final push for the development of Tom's character on the show? Huge. Absolutely huge. He was speechless. He couldn't say hi, dad, in the moment. He was mm-hmm. shocked. That's how much it meant. Yeah, this moment for Tom was was better definitely than the end game moment when he actually saw him on the screen and they mm-hmm. didn't even acknowledge each other. Mm-hmm. Agreed. I definitely... I definitely think it was a big moment, especially when his father asked, how, how is your crew? They're an exemplary crew, your son included. <laughs> is that your Janeway voice? <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> I think that's Janeway when she hasn't had enough coffee yet. 
<laughs> There's coffee in that nebula. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it was key because, you know, Tom Paris is probably, along with the holographic doctor, my favorite character on Voyager. And it's because we see who he was in Caretaker when Janeway goes and gets him out of that penal colony and who he is at the end when, you know, he's a husband, he's a father. He's become, I think, not just an exemplary crew member, but um, a good man, you know, a good friend, a good a good husband, someone that you could really, really rely on. And I feel like here, knowing that his father's actually looking for him and still cares about him, is that push to help him realize that there's so much more to live for and to strive for. I think a good way to look at Tom is at the beginning of the series, Tom was mentoring Harry at at being a good officer, a good person. And eventually, towards the middle of the series, Harry was the one teaching Tom. And, and even up to this point, he's pushing more and more towards that, that respectable and uh, more adult-like person. Even so, when we get to Endgame, when Harry's the one who wants to go off on, on the crazy mission, we get Captain Proton doesn't have a wife and a baby on the way. Mm-hmm. Well, let's come back over to Barkley for a minute because he has the Midas touch in this episode. And he's, of course, well known for his hollow addiction, which I talked about up front. It really pays off here, though, because... He, he spends all this time in the holodeck interacting with these characters. And there's actually that, that funny, funny moment where Harkins is questioning him about how long do you spend in here? And he's like, oh, I don't know. I mean, and he's like seriously lowballing his own estimate, right? He's, I don't know, like <laughs> 20, 30 hours a week. And I'm thinking <laughs> yes. 80, 90 hours a week. But he says 20, 30 <laughs> hours a week. And Harkins like, don't you think that's a little bit excessive? But... He's achieving two things in the holodeck, I see. One is stroking his own ego. He has that great line (laughs) where he says, don't fight, plenty of me to go around. It's like everybody wants (laughs) to show some Barkley on the holographic (laughs) Voyager. But it does make sense, too, that interacting with those characters, and let's not get into the technical details of like how the holodeck would be able to actually create them so that they interacted fairly much like the characters we know would. But but they do. So let's just take it. They do in the story. So this really helps. And having access to Voyager itself, I think, really helps Reg figure out how to make this thing work. So, what, Char, what do you think about the holodeck addiction angle of this episode? Yeah, I do think that it works. Uh, this actually makes a lot of sense for Reg Barkley, because I get the feeling, I don't know, they try to insinuate in the episode that he had a hollow addiction. I never ever get the sense that it really ever truly leaves him. Maybe this yeah. is a relapse in a really big way, but I don't think like he ever really cleared that. Um, Maybe. Well, we don't using... know. I mean, we didn't see him for, for many years, so. Right. You know, That's kind of what have I mean. Is like... and, yeah. I don't know. But if anything else, he's masking his addiction as part of his workload, you know. So uh, 
I think it's even gone to the point where he's in a little bit of denial about just how addicted he is. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. he basically is living in a holographic recreation of Voyager and doesn't see that well, much sleeps, of a problem with it. He's comfortable He sleeps with it. in holographic quarters instead of his own apartment. Right. And uh, so he's masking his obsession by making it look like he's just buried in his work, which really, honestly, a lot of people consider praiseworthy because you're dedicated then. And uh, most people, I mean, they don't see through it except for his boss, who who does. But aside from that, it takes a little bit for the for a uh, for this to unravel. And yet, it does work. I mean, his obsession does pay off. So I'm not entirely sure what this episode is saying about hollow addiction, whether it's good or bad. Uh, I don't know, guys. Uh, definitely whoever his sponsor is at Hollow Addicts Anonymous needs to reevaluate the job they're doing because they suck. I don't <laughs> think he's going to meetings, dude. Well, then the sponsor should be checking up on him. Sponsor probably gave up. What if the sponsor is a hologram? <laughs> <laughs> then that's a really big problem, right? That is a conflict of interest. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Someone's is. like, I don't think you guys should be hanging around together. You're not helping his meetings in the holodeck <laughs> yeah no, there's nothing wrong with you man you're doing just fine good for you reg and you know you know that he's really crossed the line when he starts walking around starfleet headquarters with a mobile emitter on his arm even oh, though he's man. a real person <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about this jamie honestly I've, I think the whole leaving the Enterprise and leaving his quote-unquote family is what really triggered mm-hmm. him going into this hollow, yeah. hollow addiction. And then, yes. you know, finding a, an outlet because creative people do need out, outlets. Like for me, I, I do writing and I lose myself in my writing. So Barkley in getting all his creative juices found voyager and used his his uh, pension for holiday programs to work out those problems to help bring them home so in a way it it was good and in a way it was bad because we all know that if we do too much of something whether it be uh say too much video games or something else that too much podcast stuff in it or podcasting. <laughs> yeah, this is true. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we could lose ourselves in it. And that's what Reg is saying at the beginning of the episode. I've lost myself. Yeah. But I, f- I feel like I'm, I'm so close to an answer. And that's how sometimes you feel. And th- I think that that really hits the nail on the head on addiction, whatever addiction it may be. And you always have that one person or that group of people that will help you through it. Like Deanna is like his helper all through this episode as he's talking Mm -hmm. about his flashback, the flashbacks to what we're seeing in the past and then helps, I guess, to push us forward to Reg's decision to, I don't care if I'm going to get fired or whatnot, but I need to do this. I need to do this for my own sanity. I, th- I think you're exactly right about him leaving the Enterprise and leaving his family. I think when he says that to her, I think he's being really, really honest about what has happened to him because the Enterprise 
crew was a family. And you really get that feeling when you watch TNG that, that they are a family. And he's someone who he clearly has problems socializing. He's a very intelligent person who lacks confidence and just falls apart when he's faced with another person. Even in this episode, Admiral Paris says, I can't give you high marks for clarity, Lieutenant, but you certainly have my attention. And that's him. Rela- that was the Barclay that we saw in like the nth degree before, yeah. you know, at the beginning of that episode who, and, and Jordy saw something in him and Jordy took him under his wing. I mean, maybe a little bit reluctantly, if I remember correctly, with Picard was <laughs> telling him to, to help out. But, but the point I'm getting to here is that the Enterprise crew, they supported him and they helped him become a more confident person. And then he was separated from that. And so then, like you said, he relapsed into that again. And when I look at someone like Harkins here, they're not really being very supportive of what of his needs. You know, he has unique needs. And I don't think he's getting support from the people around him, the people he's working with on this project and at the Academy. And Shar, you said earlier that no one sees through it except for his boss, Harkins. And the thing is, I think the other people don't care in the first place. Like, it's not so much that they're not seeing through it. It's they're just not paying attention to Barkley. You know, he's that weird guy that can't talk to us. So let's just push him off to the side. And so he's using the holodeck here. I mean, he's so like just uber confident when he's there on the holodeck. You know, he's he's the 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 cool guy walking around doing the little finger guns at people. (laughs) (laughs) So 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 he's yeah. I think it's absolutely right, Jamie, that he's using the holodeck here as a replacement for the family that he lost on the Enterprise. He just needs more support from the people around him there at Starfleet. But but I do think that the holodeck, I don't think he's just losing himself in there to escape from things. I think that it also does play an important role in him solving this problem that he's trying to solve because the holodeck is a great tool for, for uh, you know, running tests on theories and finding out how that actual equipment might react uh, to what you're trying to do. But whether this episode is saying anything truly about hollow addiction or not, I don't know. I don't really think it is. I'm just wondering, you know, are they implying things that they may have intended or not? Honestly, I think it's more they tried to do something on addiction, kind of like something... I can't remember the episodes, but in like Enterprise season three with DePaul and mm-hmm. and that type of message, I guess. But they failed on execution in this episode. Something that would that they would rectify later with DePaul. Yeah. Well I think in the case of T'Pol and her Trillium D addiction, that's something that that story spanned many, many episodes. That was an ongoing mm-hmm. story. So it, it wasn't something that they even attempted to address and make a statement about, a definitive statement about in one episode. It was something that took her a long time. And it was, well, the last time we hear about it, it was left with flocks telling her that, like, you're going to have to learn to live with this because this is something that, you know, the, the effects of this are going to be with you maybe forever. And of course, then they dropped the storyline because they went to season four. But the implication was this very ongoing thing, which is, I think, the case with 
what's happening with Reg and the hollow addiction as well. It's a long, ongoing thing. It might be something you never recover from. You know, Shar, you said earlier you think maybe he never really recovered from it. They talk about this being a relapse. I think it might be something where you kind of recover from it. It looks like you've recovered for a number of years and then you fall back into it again. And maybe it's something you can never actually ever break away from. Yeah, There's something like alcoholism. Mm-hmm. I was actually thinking more, uh, well, no, no. I was going to say it's more like an eating disorder where you have to acknowledge the existence of food in some way or another, whether you eat it or not. But then you don't have to go to the holodeck, even if it is to help you do your work. You could find an alternative. It's just that's very nice and convenient in the 24th century. So it is more like alcohol where you don't have to live with the holodeck, even if you think you do. You know, you don't have to go to the bar. The fact that he was sleeping in holographic quarters, and that reminded me as well on Deep Space Nine when Worf got permission to have his quarters on the Defiant because he didn't want to live on the station with everyone because he wasn't quite fitting in. He was more mm-hmm. comfortable living on the Defiant. So you've got this stretch of time where Worf is actually living on the Defiant. Yeah, and is that healthy too, right? Yeah, well, I would say socially no, right? Because you're segregating mm-hmm. yourself from people. Yeah, it's true. At least in your downtime. At least Worf, in my opinion, has always been that lone person, whether he's mm-hmm. on the Enterprise and he's you know with Riker and Data, but he's still separate. And then when he's with Klingons, he's with Klingons, but he's always that a person away. Mm-hmm. True. He's still always kind of got a little bit of a distance because he's split against the middle. I think, Jamie, you said it earlier that as far as like after Reg left the Enterprise, trigger is the big word. I think this is a huge relapse, and that's what caused this to happen in such a, a big triumphant return, if you will. The other question I had I wanted to get your thoughts on is when you have a character like Barkley, as an actor, I think you have to be careful not to overdo it. And I think that Dwight Schultz played Barkley really well in The Next Generation. And I also love his little cameo in First Contact. And in Projections, also He did a really nice job. And here there are points where I almost feel like he goes a little bit overboard with the sort of the the eccentric nature of Barkley. Did you feel that way? Or was it appropriate for someone who has really had a relapse into this and is really struggling to try to get people to take him seriously and listen to what he has to say? Yeah, no, definitely the latter. If you know somebody who is in the throes of some kind of addiction it's taken over them and the real person is hidden underneath, I think. And so that person is not quite the same as they would be without that, without the addiction consuming them. Let's put it that mm-hmm. way. So I don't think it's extreme at all. I think it's definitely overboard in the sense of the normal Berkeley that we see. Mm-hmm. But like Char said, and I said earlier with the, with Barkley leaving the Enterprise, that triggered him recessing into his own tendencies. And for a person who's dealing with either an addiction or depression, it's really tough by yourself to get through anything, creative or otherwise. Mm-hmm. And, you, and, and you tend to act out. And it takes, 
a person or a group of people to help bring you back to center or you yourself working uh-huh. through that problem somehow. So the frustration amplifies the problem. I think so. Addiction is regressive. And so just by that very nature, you're practically degrading in your level of maturity, higher thought, all of it. It becomes so simplistic and black and white. Mm. If that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. All right. So so that's Barkley. Yeah, I, I, I like what you guys said. I think that, that any feeling that I had that he's overdoing it, I think is smoothed out by by what you guys said there. So it does make sense. And and maybe that that's what he's trying to say. Because at the same time, like I'm watching like the staff meeting scene and I'm watching Dwight Schultz walk around and I'm thinking like this guy's a really good stage actor to mm-hmm. to to switch gears the way he does and to pull things off. So that was good. Well, I think we have touched all the bases in this episode. It's a very straightforward episode because we're just following what Barkley does all the way through. So let's do our final thoughts here and our ratings. So, Jamie, how about you? What are your final thoughts on Pathfinder and what's your rating? Um, Pathfinder for me is always going to be one of those rewatchable episodes. It, it definitely brings back feelings of the next generation for me, which was my very first show that I watched and Barkley has always been a character that I identified with as a normal person and for a person with problems and working through them it was really nice to see him finally by the end of the episode you know taken seriously by Admiral Paris and Commander Harkins and you know Voyager's crew you know to bridge Barkley whoever he is if I saw this on a rewatch. I, I'd be really happy with it. I w- would give my rating of three and a half goddesses of empathy. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right, great. How about you, Suzanne? My thoughts on on Pathfinder are pretty positive. I got to see Broccoli again, which is always a plus because he kind of makes me chuckle with his awkwardness seeing Deanna is always good would have been better had Will shown up somewhere <laughs> at least I got to see Chakotay in his monkey uniforms so that made up for no Will yeah I don't know Suzanne I I'm not sure that it's it's a good idea to show you an episode with Will Riker and Chakotay both together on the screen that at would the same be time. heaven heaven <laughs> 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 I could watch that episode forever if somebody could make that, that'd be great. But um, being able to see uh, Admiral Paris, it's nice. Had he actually had a picture of Tom Paris on his desk, it would have been better. But <laughs> everybody <Tom>. loves Nick. <laughs> everybody loves Nick Locarno, I guess. Um, but my rating is going to have to be six cats named Neelix because everybody should have one. <laughs> I do think that's a great name for a cat. It is, it is, but I really wanted Neelix to be orange instead of white. It kind of threw me off. I'm like, it, it should have been. Yeah, but oh, I wanted him to be orange. Fun. And also instead of catnip, he liked to just gnaw on a stick of Leola root. <laughs> <laughs> well, as we learned from the episode, they didn't get every detail about Voyager's whereabouts through over to Starfleet. And so they Barkley probably doesn't know that Neelix should have been an orange cat. Right. 
So that's why. That's how I'm going to write it off. At least he didn't name his cat Seska. Ooh. (laughs) It would be a cat who's really a dog who (laughs) joins up with the Targs (laughs) and tries to take over his apartment. (laughs) That sounds like a fanfic. I I would like to read that, please. All right. Get get on that, Shar. Get on writing that. No, thanks. (laughs) You know what I was just thinking looking at, at Barkley's apartment? I don't know if any of you watch How I Met Your Mother uh-huh. or or notice, but that apartment looks like Ted Mosby's last apartment before the end of the show. I see. Like, well, I'm only, don't tell me because we're only in like season four or five in Japan. So, but, but I will say, I think you're right because I don't know if you noticed, but there's a blue French horn on the wall. That was a dead giveaway. <laughs> All right. Well, so sure. What are your final thoughts and your rating here? I haven't really got a whole lot else to say. I always look forward to this one on a rewatch. I think it's a good time. I enjoy the TNG-esque nostalgia. It's like revisiting some old friends, but they're on my my favorite of these Star Trek shows, so that makes it even better. I like the fact that it's different. I think it's pivotal to the Voyager story overall. I do wish it would have happened a little sooner, but we did finally get it. And then once they decided to go there, they did start setting things in motion. So at least they did do that. So, therefore, I'm going to give this one uh, eight and a half dishes of chocolate ice cream licked by the cat. (laughs) (laughs) I like this episode as well. It's one of my favorite Voyager episodes. It's just a fun story. Uh, It ties in to greater Star Trek, as I've talked about before. I think Marina Sirtis does a really nice job here. Dwight Schultz does a nice job. And the the whole Voyager cast does a, a really nice job, which is something that I think is overlooked in this episode often. The fact that in season six, they have to go back and play their characters the way that they played them, at least in mannerisms and all, in season one, which isn't always easy when you've you've had six years of playing this character. But to go back, they weren't exactly the same, of course, because they were sort of Barclay's vision of what they would be like. But nevertheless, you know, like I love Bolana's hair in this episode. It's kind of shorter, little curly bob. It's just, it's very different than the Bolana of season six. And so for Roxanne Dawson to go back and play that character in this episode was interesting. Bun of steel. <laughs> yeah. Bun of steel. You know it. <laughs> yeah. So, so I really like this episode. And this episode could be an example of what those fans who want a Star Trek series that's a crossover, we, we just have characters from different Star Trek coming in and out all the time into the stories. This example, this could be an example of what that might be like. So, you know, I guess, um, I since I can't give this ice cream licked by the cat, I'm going to give it eight cheese omelets. More right. food mentioned in the episode. All right, so Suzanne and Jamie, thanks for joining us today. Before we go, Suzanne, tell everyone where they can find you around the interwebs. Uh, you can find me on the Twitter at Suzanne Abbott or come visit me on the Trek.fm Facebook page and check out our questions of the day. Absolutely. So Jamie, how about you? Where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at jsanchez25. Um, you can find me or talk to me on the Star Trek New Voyages Phase 2 fan page on Facebook, or just hitting the contact button on the Star Trek Phase 2 website, which is 
www.startrekphase2the2.com. And you guys have a new episode coming up fairly soon, don't you? Yes, we do. Any teasers <laughs> at all? I can tease you that Captain Kirk isn't. <laughs> Shocking! And it's called Mind Sifter. I think that's known, right? That was even on your Kickstarter that is, page. That so. is definitely known. Mm-hmm. All right. So stay tuned for that. And we're going to have you guys on continuing mission sometime soon to find out more about it when you're ready to talk about it a bit more. No problem. All right. Well, thanks again for joining us today, guys. Thanks for having me. Well, Chris, that was a lot of fun talking with Suzanne and Jamie about Pathfinder and, of course, talking Voyager, as we do when I tend to be on the ready room. And so awesome. Yeah, well, I think you're here for just about every Voyager episode, but you're also here for nine Voyager episodes as well. It's true. I managed to sneak, sneak my way on a couple here and there, but it's Voyager. That's your we know theme, that all yeah. that I love. Yeah, Even if yeah, you did get offended yeah. by me suggesting that you might be obsessed with it. <laughs> yeah, well, I just had to call you out on that. <laughs> but I think it was a good discussion and a good panel. And actually, we had a listener uh, who tweeted me the other day, and they they said, and I'm sorry, I can't remember your screen name off the top of my head at the moment, but they said, I'm really enjoying listening to old ready rooms. They're going through the back catalog, you know, early ones. But they said, but what's with all the Voyager bashing? And Voyager is my oh. favorite series. And I would just like to speak to that real quick, actually, that I understand what you're saying. The early days of the Ready Room, Mm -hmm. we did have some very unbalanced panels when it came to Voyager, especially. Voyager is my least favorite Star Trek series. I like it. I like all of Star Trek. But of the series, it is my least favorite of the five. And my co-host at the time really disliked Voyager. And his friend who came on often to those shows also didn't like Voyager. And there was no real balance. There was no voice of reason there. And so sometimes those conversations did kind of digress into what may aptly be called as Voyager bashing. So on behalf of the Ready Room in the Network, I apologize for that. So bear through those early episodes, if you will, and, and try to find something in there that you like. But I, but Shar, <laughs> I, would you agree that I think for the vast majority of the Ready Room's run, we have had fairly balanced Voyager discussions. Yeah, I would say, especially the newer the episodes, the better it's gotten. Much more balanced, different points of view, and it's an honest look rather than a bashing or a complete sugar-coated, yeah. oh yeah, that was so that, great. That's the other thing. No, we do try to yeah. look at it honestly. And that's every episode. That's the other thing. With every episode of every series, you're not going to get the fanboy sugar-coated version of everything on the ready room or Trek FM for that matter. I mean, we're going to talk about pros and cons uh, of things. And it does depend on the episode. Like, I mean, some episodes, if we just love that episode, we probably will overly praise it. (laughs) And if we hate the episode, we may be more critical than we perhaps should be. But it's fine to take a different look at it and try to find pros and cons. But anyway, Voyager isn't the only thing that we've been talking about on the network this past week, although Shar and Tristan have been talking about it on To The Journey. So here's a quick look at all the different things that you can find us talking about on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. They, they look at the original series episodes and they see thematically 
what it is that works and they pick that in order to explore like a different side of it. Earl Grey. No, do you guys seriously no. not know why they have red and green lights? No. Not all of us have read Ships of the Line. Okay, no, 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 no. Wait, wait, is this in Ships of the Line? Up... I'm only in like chapter no, one. No, no. I'm talking about like real ships today. Have okay. you been on a ship, Darren? The orb. Them being adversarial, I, I don't think necessarily was the only way they could have gone. Um, it makes for a great story, but it just made me wonder, just in a possible universe, what would have happened? I think it's important, though, that she, as the religious leader, is not sold on the idea that this outsider is their emissary. To the journey! Endgame cannot make my list. <laughs> I, uh, I don't have as much hatred for Endgame as you or apparently everybody else does. Oh, I've, not that I'm bitter or anything, no. Warp 5. So I would argue in the case of what Paxton is doing here in firing a weapon at San Francisco, which luckily missed and went into the bay. And I don't know if, I guess George and Gracie aren't there, right, in the 22nd century, so they're okay, but... The Ready Room. They could have really diverged with what we knew of Will and made Thomas's own unique character. I mean, he is, but, like, if we can get multiple Burial episodes, you know, why can't Thomas Riker (laughs) have more than one episode? Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. And he happens to figure it all out. Yeah, that, that's enough to drive an audience. We no, we need to get spirit. Will Wheaton on the show because I will defend Wesley in this episode against the guy who played Wesley. <laughs> okay. Commentary, Trek stars. There was an interview, I think, with, with JJ where they were talking to him and he was saying that, you know, oh, my, my dad was friends with Nicholas Meyer back in the day. I remember going to Meyer's house when I was a kid. And he saw he had a whole bunch of really cool things in his house, and I thought I would like to break some of the things. Literary treks. But I do. Like I want to see cover. Spock with a perm. Oh gosh! Well, I think I've got a Photoshop yeah. project in my future with this cover right here. Melodic treks. It's like, oh, this wow. happened. Oh, oh, this is so good. <laughs> <laughs> it was. No it was just that amazing. That is how she, uh, reacts. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. You can find us everywhere you get your podcasts. We're all over the place. If you are an iTunes user, one way that you can help us out, though, is by getting the show through iTunes. If you go over to the iTunes store and click that subscribe button, that makes a big difference for us because search results and rankings and iTunes, they're based on how many subscribers you have lifetime subscribers, how many reviews you have, how many ratings you have, all those things make a huge difference for us. So we would love for you to support us there in iTunes and head over and subscribe. And and honestly, I think that's the easiest way to get podcasts and actually the best way. It's certainly the way I prefer, even though I have all those other apps and sources on my iPhone and iPad as well. And speaking of iTunes, Shara, we have gotten some new reviews for The Ready Room, and I wanted to share those with everyone today. The first one here, I may have read this a couple of weeks ago. If if you're hearing it for a second time, I apologize, but I wanted to make sure that I did share it on the show. This is a review from Lost Freedom, who left us a review in the U.S. store, five stars, and said, like the randomness. I'm a huge Trekkie. I love the random show discussions. That's it. Short right. and sweet. Straight and to the point. Hey. But what they bring up here is the premise of the ready room, which is that we rotate through all five series. That is 
a standard that you can find if you're looking for a pattern. Yeah. But otherwise, it is random. We get together before the shows, the week before the show, and we say, what, what episode do you guys want to talk about from Voyager this week? Throw out some ideas. We all <laughs> agree on one, and there we go with it. And eventually, we'll cover them all. Yep. Yeah, that's how we do it. That's how we do it. So thank you for that review. Also one here from 2 of 10, which thankfully is not the rating that they gave us, Shar. <laughs> <laughs> this is very good. No, 2 of 10 gave us five stars and said the best keeps getting better. I have been a big fan of TRR for a long time and finally decided to sing its praises. See Brian Jones and his guests really dig deep into all five series and manage to never hit the reset button. So each and every show is new and fresh. I never tire of TRR, and I learn something new with each new episode. All right. Yeah, that's that's. High it's praise. one thing I like actually as the host is the fact that I'm I'm the only mainstay on the show, and then I get to bring three or sometimes <laughs> even four people in every single week in different combinations because it keeps the show fresh for me too. I never know where the discussion is going to go. True. Yeah. So one more review here from Saruman 2.0, who left us five stars and said, fun and insightful. I can't praise this podcast enough. After only one podcast, I am hooked. These hosts are the real deal, tried and true Star Trek fans, and they bring together their unique experiences to make an insightful, thought-provoking podcast that is fun to listen to as well as humorous at times. I rate them five out of five rings of power. Woo. All right. So Power. thanks so much yeah. for that review. And Saruman 2.0, I would love to know which episode you listened to after just one episode. <laughs> Me too. I, I'm really curious. I mean, I, I'm glad that we connected with you and I really appreciate this review. And I would love to know because the Ready Room is really different from week to week. And I think we do a pretty good job every week. We certainly try. But we certainly have some shows that are better than others. And I'd like to know which episode you heard that uh, moved you to go leave a yeah. review. So that's wonderful. Yeah. So let me know. Well, and I hope you kept listening too. Yeah, keep listening. I hope you will. And let me know if you're on Twitter, C Brian Jones, C, the letter C, and Brian with a Y is my username. That would be a great way to let me know. And we'll give you the rest of the contact info here in a few minutes. So, for everyone else, we would love for you to leave us a review. Just drop by iTunes, and it only takes a minute. Written reviews help us out a great deal. We'd love to hear from you. And it also helps other fans find the show as they search the store. So on to feedback, Shar. If you would like to let us know what you think about the topic that we talked about today, Pathfinder, anything we talked about in news, which trading card set would you like to see them make? There are many ways <laughs> for you to get in touch with us. You can go to our website at trek.fm contact. There's a form there. Just choose to send a show and choose the ready room. And that will come to us by email. That actually comes to both Shar and me. And also you can leave us a voicemail through our website. Look in the left sidebar. You'll see the tool for that or go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm. And maybe we can even play your voicemail here on the show. You can also find us on Twitter. Our username is trekfm. Facebook.com slash trekfm is our standard brand page there on Facebook. But now we also have the Babel Conference, our listeners group for discussion about the shows and Star Trek. You can get there by searching for us on Facebook or going to our website and clicking discussion on the menu bar and just click join once you get there and I'll let you into the group. I'll give you those delegate credentials. All right, Char. So when you're not busy creating that perfect holodeck program for Suzanne that features both Chakotay and Riker, (laughs) where can people find you? 
Tell you what, that's taking up a lot of my time these days. But every now and then, I'll still take a break. Well, I, I hear she's paying you a nice bit of gold-pressed latinum for that. Darn right she is. <laughs> she wanted full authenticity. Oh, wow. And I'll let you I, let your imagination race on what that I means. I don't even want to know who you've been interviewing for that. It's been a lot of work, let me tell you, but I've enjoyed every minute of it. <laughs> All right, well... When I'm not in the holodeck perfecting this program for Suzanne, I am usually on the Twitter, and my handle is oh the profanity, and that's also where you can find my to the journey co-host Tristan Riddell, and we do a Voyager podcast every single week. It's called To the Journey. Imagine that if you didn't catch on to that already. <laughs> so if you like this episode, give us a try if you haven't already. We talk anything and everything Voyager, and new episodes drop every Thursday. You know, Char, what's funny about iTunes reviews is that you guys what's you that? guys have several reviews where the person says, mm-hmm. I don't really like Voyager, but I love listening to this podcast. We take that as such a huge compliment, too, because if even if we can get the people who don't like the show, the subject at hand, mm-hmm. to keep listening, we're doing something right. That feels good. You really, really are. You really are. Uh, every time I see those reviews, I think, okay... They're doing a great job on To The Journey. We try. So go check out To The Journey, everyone. And then if you want to catch me, as I mentioned earlier, I'm on Twitter. My username is C Brian Jones, letter C and Brian with the Y. I'm also on Facebook, facebook.com slash C Brian Jones. And I have my own website at cbrianjones.com. And then elsewhere on the network, I'm not on To The Journey, but I am on The Orb, our Deep Space Nine show, together with Matthew Rushing. Matthew and I also do literary treks together, Star Trek books and comics, and we interview authors. And then I do lots of other shows as well. There's Warp 5 about Enterprise, Continuing Mission, which I mentioned with Jamie, which is about fan series and independent productions. There's also our new show, Hyper Channel, Matter Stream, which is about science and social issues. And I co-host the official podcast of Star Trek Axanar with Axanar creator and executive producer, Alec Peters. And that's a great place for you to go hear behind the scenes of what it's actually like day to day of creating a film like Axanar. You know, Chris, I think To The Journey is the only Trek FM podcast you've never been on. I think so. Maybe so. Yeah. Wow. And really, nothing malicious intended about that whatsoever. It's just we very rarely do guests on To The Journey. Right. Yeah, well, same with The Orb. Like, we we rarely have any guests on To The Orb. To The Orb. (laughs) To The Orb! orb. (laughs) The Orb. (laughs) Same with The Orb. We rarely have guests on The Orb either. So, not many crossovers there. Although we did do Move Along Home as a TOS episode one time, so. That's yeah, right. That was awesome with Standard yes. Orbit, so. Yeah. We crossed over with Earl Grey, so we once in a very blue moon do it, but not very no. often. It's usually just me and Tristan riffing. But it's fine. It's fine when we do. So I'll have to get on there yeah, sometime. Yeah, we have fun. With you guys. Someday. We'll get all you right. there. So those are all the places you can find us, everyone. And don't forget about our Patreon page. We would love for you to head over there and support us. Even a dollar makes a big difference for us. That's patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Trekafilm. And you'll find our goals and our perks over there. And then also audible.com. They're the best source for audiobooks that you'll find anywhere. Go to audibletrial.com slash Trekafilm. Sign up for Audible. You'll get a free audiobook of your choice. Pick up Imzadi or something else that you want. And if you decide not to stick with them, you'll get to keep that. So there's nothing to lose. But trust me, you're going to love Audible. If you love podcasts, you're going to love Audible. That's why I've been with them for 14 years and no plans to stop 
anytime soon. Again, audibletrial.com slash trekafilm is the URL. And we really thank Audible for their support of The Ready Room. Well, Shar, I'm going to have to let you go now. I'm going to wander off and look for Neelix the cat because he licks some chocolate ice cream. And as I understand, chocolate's not very good for cats, just like it's not good for dogs. I want to make sure he hasn't killed over somewhere. That's a very good idea because you're right. Chocolate is not good for cats. Please make sure that he's healthy, would you? I'll I'll, I'll check him out for you. I'll make sure he's okay. All right, thanks. I feel better knowing that. (laughs) I think it's time to stick a Midas array in it because the ready room is done. <laughs> 